Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and I'm joined today here in the Glory UGA studio by my coach, Charlie. And Charlie... I think we're at one of the markers in the offseason. I, I don't know. This, these are my made-up markers. We're at like almost exactly the month and a half mark since our last Georgia football game. How has the offseason been treating you? Bored out of my mind. You, I, I mean, okay, I, again, I, I think we've talked about this a little bit on the show before. I say this with all due respect and all the love in the world. The last couple of weeks that you've come over here... Um, I've been kind of worried about you. Are you are you just bored or worse? Because you just don't seem like you're having any fun in life right now. I don't do well towards the end of winter. You've always kind of been like a seasonal depression person. Like, is that me going too far? Seasonal affective disorder. Is that what it's called? Sad. <laughs> is it really? Is that really a thing? Seasonal affective disorder. But like yeah. sad, the acronym SAD is that what I they, mean, if I guess that it would make, be the I think you just make that up. No, like, that's a real thing. Seasonal affective disorder? I know seasonal yeah. affective disorder is a real thing. Well, I mean, if you took the first Yeah, but the, 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 do people actually refer to it as sad? I mean, why wouldn't you? It's the most ironic thing I've ever heard, but it's, it makes sense. Yeah, I know traditionally, I mean, I've known you for a long time, and you usually, it's kind of weird. Like, you like the beginning of the offseason usually, even though it's cold. You hate the cold weather. That's just tell everyone that you are like a gardener extraordinaire. You love to be outdoors, do all that kind of stuff. Stuff that I don't have any interest in at all, and you can't do that during the winter months. And I'm sure a pandemic only intensifies that because you're kind of just stuck at home, right? Is that kind of where we're at? Yeah. More or less. In the rain. And you have to work at home. Are you still working at home? You yes. are, right? And so that, does that make it, it has to make it worse, right? Yeah. So you, you can't even leave to go to work. No. And I'm sure a lot of people are, I, I, I'm getting one word answers right now. Is this just where you are in life? Like, I just don't care. Yes. Okay. So that's the show today, guys. No, I'm kidding. So I'm sorry that you're going through this, I am, but we're making it through the off season. We've got, it's tennis season, right? You should be pumped about this. Yeah, well, one tennis match got canceled because of COVID. Then they're having random matches at like two o'clock in the afternoon. People have to work. But I I don't know, I mean. Now there's a match on Wednesday at 12. There is? Yeah, the girls are now, or the ladies are now playing Georgia Southern at noon on Wednesday. What? And the guys are playing. How did I playing, miss this? And the guys are playing somebody else afterwards at two thirty. So the guys are playing on Wednesday. Yeah. Like the one day of the week I can't make it out there. Literally the one day of the week I'm booked. Hmm. Wow. Life just sucks. You're right. Life sucks. Seasonal <laughs> affective disorder. I'm with you on that. Now. Sad. Sad. It's sad. But next week it's supposed to be really warm and sunny and not rainy. That's what I'm saying. You just gotta. I know it's easier said than done, but just look ahead to better days. I mean, we're gonna win the national championship this year, Charlie. Like it's coming. It's happening. You've been saying that for like it's just just think years. about the confetti raining down from the sky. Yeah. Indianapolis, I believe, is the location for the title game this year. Oh God, that's you're, cold. You're, gonna, you're gonna be in cold, oh, wintry wonderland man. of Indianapolis. Will I? I don't confetti think I will. falling from the sky. Just think about that. Me. Think about how great that's gonna be. Kirby Smart's gonna be booming, efforting it all over the place, all over downtown Indianapolis. I saw him on Thursday when I was running. At two o'clock in the morning. It was just before six a.m. So if you're working from home, why are you still getting up that early? 
Because I Because you're a masochist? Well, I had to run like 11 miles that day. Oh, oh so you don't always give me crap for telling everyone how much I'm running. Well, no, I mean, I had to wake up early because I had to run long. Well, I ran 20 miles on Saturday. Thank you. See, everyone? Well, gotta... you, hey, you started. You brought up 11 miles. I'm just going to have to one-up you. Good for you. It was actually bored. terrible. I had to talk about being bored. I had to, so it was raining. It was freezing cold and raining in Athens all day on Saturday. So I had to run 20 miles. I, well, I chose to run 20 miles inside on a treadmill in a gym. And um, what did you watch? Uh, I wa- I brought my iPad, so I watched three basketball games that I had saved up from Thursday and Friday night. Uh, one was awesome. I got to see Georgia Tech lose on a buzzer beard at Clemson, like at the last second in the game that they were winning most of that game. I almost felt the treadmill when that happened because I was laughing so hard at Georgia Tech. That was kind of funny. People were looking at me like, why is this guy laughing deliriously while he's been running on this for two did, and a half hours? Did anyone ask you when you were going to stop running? No, they didn't. It's COVID. People don't get near me anymore. People don't get no, near each other. No, I just mean because you were running for a long time. It was like you're trying yeah, to but punish like, yourself. Who's going to... like? Who's gonna come up and stop me while I'm running on a treadmill? I got my. I'm watching an iPad. I got earbuds in. No there one's might gonna be stop some me. concerned citizens. Nobody cares about me that much. Even my own wife doesn't care about me that much. She's just like, uh, he might or might not come back home. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Yeah, I texted her to find out what y'all were doing, and she was like, I don't know when he's coming home. Well, yeah, I mean, I did her a favor. I went. To, I went to get her a little, not a gift. I don't. I mean, can I say this on a podcast? I went to get her some Trulies. Uh, because she's into the whole hard seltzer thing, which I is, I don't know is hard. What are what is hard seltzer? Is it even alcohol? Yeah. Is it really vodka. though? Because I, I I she'll drink like five or six in like because they be, have nothing in them. So it's not alcohol. Then why why don't we it's, just call it seltzer? It's like water? a wine cooler in a can, and it's not as sweet. Then why do people drink them? I don't understand. Like if if, it, if it's not gonna do anything, then why don't you well, just drink? It's good some? to drink if you want to drink, but you got to drive, so you can't. But you're not drink. really drinking because you just said there's nothing in them. I'm just trying. I don't know. To yeah, I just question. don't understand. It's okay. It's okay. Sorry. Anyway, we got football to talk about. People are probably like, "What is going on here?" Which is fine. It's all right. It's the off season. Things like this. Just you know, there's not a ton of football to talk about. Gotta get creative. But anyway, let's get back to football. On the show today, this is part one of our 2020 performance review series, where we are going to give returning players an evaluation of their performance over the course of the 2020 season. This is going to kind of lead us up to spring practice, guys. Spring practice, believe it or not. Charlie, here's something else to look forward to. Like, literally exactly a month away, I think. Almost exactly a month away. So that's something else, right? That's another marker. Spring practice, beautiful thing. So we're going to do this leading up to spring practice, and we're kind of modeling these off of the typical annual review that any good old regular Joe would get at his place of employment, like I've been getting for 15 plus years now. You guys know how these things work. I'm sure you get them just like I do. Of course, we're going to review their strengths, the accomplishments of each of these players, but it wouldn't be a proper performance evaluation if we didn't also discuss areas in which they need to improve. Every employer, like every employer has like a, some like ridiculous euphemism for this part. Like I've had in the, at certain jobs, I've had opportunities for growth. I've had one, Charlie, obstacles to success. Like the areas that I need to improve in, it was obstacles to success. And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't understand. Like grows and glows? Grows and glows? It's a hard one. Glows and grows. Glows and grows. That's a new one on me. Glows and grows? Yeah, glows. Like you did something well. Grows like, oh, you need to work on it. Do you work at a preschool? Like I, I don't, that's, that's very like glows and grows. It, yeah. I mean, everyone has, their, like, this is what I'm talking about. Though. Every, like, place of business has their own weird, strange euphemism for, like, hey, here's what you need to get better at. And we'll also do that on the show today. Uh, and then after reviewing their strengths and weaknesses, we will give them an overall performance grade. And this is where the real performance reviews, like in real life, that we all go through each year, so where they really start to diverge. So it's kind of like a seemingly endless number of ways to grade an employee's performance. And each place of business seems to have their own way of doing so. So in the interest of simplicity, we're just going to keep this on a scale of 1 to 10 like we did with the recruiting deep dive last week. I think everyone kind of just gets that. And if we want to stay in the theme of performance reviews, I guess we can break it into like three general categories. So a score of 8 through 10, we'll call that superior. Those would be players who managed a consistent and sustained level of success all year long. So you got a little bit of room to maneuver there. Eight would be the low end of superior. Ten would be like best grade ever, right? And then coming in right there in the middle, got satisfactory, which would be a score of five to seven on our scale of one to ten. And these would be the consistently solid performers who occasionally flash those signs of excellence of like 
crazy, crazy potential. And then coming in at the bottom there, needs improvement. This would be a score anywhere from one through four. So four would be the high end of needs improvement. And then one would be like, man, like we, you just get out of here. Uh, these would be the inconsistent performers who kind of just waver between like, okay, solid-ish performances and then also some subpar performances thrown in there as well. Again, this is only for returning players. So like the guys moved on. We love them. We appreciate everything they did, but we're focused on next year and what these guys need to continue to improve on. So that's what we're doing today. This will be the first, and we'll probably run four or five editions of this series throughout the next couple of weeks leading up to spring practice. But Charlie, I'm going to let you take it away here. I think we got, what, five or six guys today that we're going over? Six, I think. Six? All right, where are we starting? All right, we're going to start with the player that has many in Dog Nation excited about a possible playoff run in 2021. Talking about JT Daniels. Wait a minute, Where, I thought you said that we there's no way we can win a national title. You always give me I mean, junk I like for to that. think there is, but I don't Then why do you give me so I much crap it. for that? Well, I mean, you said it first. Whatever. I don't really think it'll happen because I'm just like, oh, we'll hope for the best. And well, I'm, I'm I, I don't that's exactly I, that's to. how I am too. You know me. Yeah. I prepare for the worst and just hope to God for the best. I'm always prepared for the worst. Okay. All right, All right, go ahead. JT. JT Daniels, strengths. What are they? All right, JT Daniels, strengths. Well, let's just start by, and I know we talked about this at points throughout the season, but I do want to go back and just start by looking at the numbers before and after JT Daniels took over as a starting quarterback. So I got four categories for you here. Before JT Daniels, in total offense, we were averaging 382 yards per game offensively. After JT Daniels, the four games that he started, we averaged 486 yards per game. It's over 100 more yards per game. There are multiple games there against South Carolina and Missouri where we were truly just grinding out the clock and just trying to get out of that game and get those games over. We weren't even trying to score in the second half of those games. So that number is even slightly misleading, I would argue. I would say we, if we were actually playing teams that we had to try to score against, against with Missouri and South Carolina, we would be averaging over 500 yards a game with JT Daniels over the last four games of the year. But as it stands, 486 yards a game compared to 382 yards a game before him. Yards per pass, right? He's a quarterback, throws the football. Now, certainly George Pickens coming back, being healthy, that did help. You got to throw that in there as well. Other guys like Jermaine Burton continue to grow up. Arian Smith getting healthy, although he didn't play all that much. So there are some other guys involved here as well. But still, JT Daniels, as a signal caller, he's the guy that I, I would put most of the credit for the improvement our passing game down the stretch on his shoulders. So before Daniels took over as our quarterback, we were averaging 209 yards passing per game. After JT Daniels, in four games, we averaged 311 yards per game, went for 402 different occasions. One of the games, it would have been 300 yards in three of the four games that he played, but one of the games, I think it was against, was in Missouri, threw for 299 yards in that game. Come on, we'll call that 300, right? Let's just round up there. But again, 311 yards per game through the air with JT, 209 yards per game in the six games before he took over as a starter. In fact, we only threw for 13 total more yards in the first six games without JT Daniels than we did with him in the last four. Then you look at yards per attempt, not only were we throwing for more yards, it wasn't that we were just throwing the ball more, we were just pushing the ball down the field. We were far more efficient down the field. We only averaged 6.7 yards per attempt prior to JT, JT taking over, and all the way up to 10.2 yards per attempt, a much more explosive passing offense with JT Daniels taking over the last four games of the year. And then talking talk about just overall offensive efficiency, yards per play. In the six games before JT took over, 5.4 yards per play. The four games after he was inserted as a starting quarterback, all the way up to 7.5 yards per play, more than two yards per play more with JT Daniels as our starting quarterback. So right there, just those numbers, four numbers right there, that should give us an idea of the impact, the true JT Daniels effect on this offense. So that right there has got to give him a pretty high score, all right? But let's get a little bit more specific. What does he do well? Well, he certainly opened up our passing game in terms of what we could do down the field, push the ball vertically a little bit more, I do think his experience, I know he hadn't played a ton. I mean, he started his entire freshman year, missed all of the, year, the his sophomore year with an injury. But the experience he had, the understanding of offensive football, where to go with the football, decisiveness, accuracy underneath in the, in the, and in the intermediate range. And when he put enough on the football down the field, accurate in the vertical passing game as well. All those things he brought to the table offensively. So this is a guy, look, just look at the numbers. 
if you've watched the tape, you saw what this guy can do on the field. And I think it's understandable why a lot of Georgia fans, as you said, see him as a guy that can certainly be a catalyst behind us making a potential playoff run in 2021. All right, but do you think we really saw enough in four games to make you think beyond a doubt that JT Daniels is the quarterback we've been waiting for to lead us to the promised land? I always have doubts. Okay, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is in life. Like, I always, there's always something in the back of my mind. It's like, I don't know, maybe. There's always that little, like, devil's advocate sitting on my shoulder there, for sure, always. There are, like, okay, you're right, Charlie. Let's look down the stretch. Who do we play? All right, we played a bad Mississippi State team that we had to grind out. I mean, we, we basically went down to the wire. They had to drive down late. They, they could have tied that game, and who knows what could have happened. I think they probably would have gone for it, too. I was freaking out in that game. That, that That's how that would have transpired. You play a terrible South Carolina team without their head coach, and they've kind of quit. They had some COVID issues. Play Missouri. I thought I think actually Missouri was a pretty good team last year. We just went in there and just steamrolled them. We just flat out whipped them. And then Cincinnati, I think it was a very respectable opponent in the bowl game. So it wasn't necessarily the best competition overall. We weren't, he didn't play Alabama, didn't play Florida. But Cincinnati's got a really good defense. Missouri played good defense for most of the year. So it wasn't like he was just playing a bunch of baby seals, but I, I do think it's fair to question the level of competition that he was facing when he's inserted as the starting quarterback. I do think it's fair to look at that and wonder, okay, how does that translate against the best competition that he's going to face next year? How is that going to translate against, oh, I don't know, Clemson, who's bringing back a ton of guys on defense next year in week one in Charlotte? How does that translate? And I Maybe we need to see that. Maybe we don't have that answer yet, but I did see enough from him to think that he's going to give us more at quarterback than any quarterback that Kirby Smart has had here in Athens. Is that fair, Charlie? I mean, is that my crazy saying that? Yeah, no. I mean, like, would you take Jake Fromm over JT Daniels? No. I, I wouldn't. And you guys know I'm a Jay, I'm president of the Jake Fromm fan club, proud president of the Jake Fromm fan club for three years. But I would clearly take JT over Jake right now. I think JT's a little bit more, He's well, the knee's fully held. I think he's got a little bit more of a, that kind of that functional mobility. I think he's more accurate in the in the intermediate range. I think he has the ability to push the ball down the field. Although he's in, and we'll get that in, our, in the weaknesses here. He's inconsistent at times pushing the ball down the field vertically, but he's shown the ability to do that in ways that Jake Fromm never really flashed. So are there no doubts? Yeah, there's some doubts, but again, I saw enough to give me hope that if you look at everything else he has around him, I mean, the weapons he has around him coming in this year at the skill positions, whether it's running back, tight end, wide receiver, I mean, it's hard to ask for more. I don't think he could be better equipped in terms of like the Georgia quarterbacks in the Kirby Smart era. I don't know if he could be better equipped than what he's going to be equipped with from a, a skill talent standpoint. The guys kind of work with and compliment him. So yeah, I mean, there's doubts, but I think I've seen enough. All right. What are his opportunities for improvement? Okay, so I kind of alluded to this a second ago. I'm going to get a little bit more detail here. This is something that we had some questions about it during the season when he first got his chance to start. But going back and just kind of watching the tape in the offseason, kind of digging into it, one of the things that I've really kind of picked up on and I really want to see him clean up is just his lower half mechanics, particularly on his deep throws. It's not really a problem based on what I've seen going back and watching all four of his stars, it's not really a problem on any other throw in any other part of the field other than when he's trying to push the ball vertically down the field. And he's just inconsistent there. He doesn't do it all the time. But the big tendency that he has right now is he locks that front leg. And we got some questions when he, I think after Mississippi State game and after his first start, and people were asking like, does it look like he's healthy? Because the way he's kind of throwing the football when he's trying to put some mustard on the ball to get the ball vertically on the field. It looks like he's kind of hopping and protecting the leg. Maybe it's a, he doesn't feel confident in the knee. He doesn't want to put pressure on it. And at first I was like, you know, I don't know. And you go back and you watch his tape from USC. It's like, no, he was doing a lot of the same things at USC. Again, he didn't do it all the time, but enough to where you can say, okay, it's not just a knee thing. He was doing this prior to the knee injury in his freshman year at USC. But what he has a tendency to do sometimes is to lock that front leg. So it's like it's like completely straight and locked. It's not like bent at all. And what, what that does is he's putting all the weight on his back leg. And when you do that, it kind of causes the ball to float. Because you're thinking about your trajectory. I know it's not a visual medium here on a podcast, but think about your trajectory, guys. If you have that front leg locked and you're putting all, you're bending back and you're putting all the weight on your back leg, you're going to have a tendency to kind of airmail the ball. It's going to float up in the air. And we saw that too many times 
with JT Daniels. Were there times when, when his mechanics were great on those deep throws? Absolutely. In the Mississippi State game, I mean, think about how many balls he hit vertically down the field in that game for big time plays. And there were some plays in, the, in, in that game where our receivers did have to kind of slow down, put the brakes on, and try to catch the ball. It, it, it didn't actually hit them in stride, but there are plenty of throws where he put on the money in stride. And you didn't see that locked leg. So it's, it's strange that it's not something he does every single time when he tries to throw the ball vertically, but he does it too often. That's something that's got to change. Even some of the balls that we complete, like I mentioned, some of the balls that we completed on the field vertically for big plays, well, yeah, they were 30, 40-yard gains, which is great. I'll take it. That, that's more than what we were getting with Stetson Bennett. I'll take that. But if we really want to take the next step and get in the playoffs, and maybe, I don't know, who knows, possibly end this streak and finally win a national title, the first one since 1980, We've got to turn those 30, 40 yard gains into touchdowns. He can't force his receivers to slow down. When they got two steps on a guy, you can't ask him to slow down and let that defender catch up and a 30 yard gain turns into, or a touch, a possible, a probable touchdown turns into a 30 yard gain. Because then what happens if you don't get the ball in the end zone? You sell for a field goal. What do you, if you miss that field goal? What do you turn the ball over the next play? Those things can be the difference between you winning a football game against a top opponent and losing a football game against a team like Alabama or Florida or whoever you're playing that you've got to compete against. That's something that's got to get cleaned up. Uh, here's another example. Arian Smith in the Peach Bowl. Uh, some of you guys, I'm sure, just go back. If you guys that recorded, go back and watch it. I think it was the second quarter. Arian Smith had about 10 yards. He had about 10 yards on any Cincinnati defender. It was a layup touchdown. Did we complete the pass? Yeah, we still completed it. It was about a 30, 35-yard gain. Big play in the game. Great. But that should have been a touchdown. That's got to be a touchdown moving forward. And the problem is, it's a mechanical thing. That's all it is. It's not an arm strength thing. He's got plenty of arm strength, plenty of arm talent. It's simply a mechanical thing. There's another one to Jermaine Burton with about four minutes to go in the game, late in that game against Cincinnati. Remember the ball guys, you know what I'm talking about, where he, kinda, he just throws the ball up in the air and like the, t- the TV camera's basically lost it. Burton's lost. He has no idea where the ball is. And the ball lands like 10 yards in front of him. It's like, what happened to that ball? It's because he just basically is locking his front leg, putting all the weight on his back leg, and he's just airmailing the ball in the air, and it just floats. It floats in the air. And that happens, again, not all the time, but it happens too often. So that's one thing that he really needs to clean up. And like when you've gotten this far, like it's tough to go in there and completely change a guy's mechanics. But that's the thing. I don't think you have to change his mechanics entirely. It's just that that one issue, this lower half on deep throws, is what he's got to clean up. Because he has plenty of leg whip. If you watch him on the screen passes, you watch him on intermediate throws, he gets plenty of leg whip. He's putting he's putting in plenty of weight, transferring that weight from the back leg to the front leg, and getting plenty of, of whip with that back leg to get some juice on the ball. But he just doesn't do it consistently enough with the deep ball. And I, I don't really have an explanation for it. This is a guy that, you know, was very well trained coming out of high school. And it's, it's crazy to me. It's almost borderline baffling that no one along the way was like, hey, dude, you know what? This doesn't look right. This needs to be cleaned up. Because this guy is, I mean, he had quarterback coaches, went to a matter day where you've got high-level coaching there in high school. And that never got cleaned up. So hopefully, if I'm noticing it, then you know our coaches see that. Hopefully Todd Buckin's seen that, which I'm sure he is. And they're working on that. And I will say, when you don't have, in a, was not here for the entire offseason, wasn't getting a ton of reps with the ones after uh, after fall camp because of the whole knee injury and wasn't starting. So there wasn't a ton of time that our coaches were dedicating to getting his mechanics right. Hopefully now with a full offseason under his belt, God willing, if we have spring practice, that's something that we can really clean up throughout this offseason going into next year where that's just a distant memory. Because that's like, I don't want to say that's um, a fatal flaw, but it's certainly something that we need to clean up. Again, if we want to beat the teams that we need to beat, I think that's something that's got to be cleaned up. Because we've got to turn those potential layups. We have to hit those layups. All right. And what overall grade are you going to give JT Daniels? You know, I'm, I'm going to give him an eight. Um, again, not perfect. There's some mechanical things to clean up in the lower half. Ball security is another thing that I would I would say he needs to work on. He had a fumble in the Peach Bowl. If you watch him out there, like when he gets under pressure, he does he does a good job of kind of manipulating the pocket and like maneuvering around there. Again, that functional mobility, but he needs to do so by also placing two hands on the football. He runs around back there with one hand on the ball far too often. He's too casual with the ball back there. He needs to be much more secure. And also just some of the decision-making and some of these underneath routes. He has a, kind of a little bit of a gunslinger mentality at times. So just ball security, you know, I think I need, that he needs to work on. But we're being nitpicky here. Again, I go back to the numbers. The transformation in our offense was obvious. It was clear to anyone who watched Georgia football all year long. I mean, you, you can't discount the impact he had on our off, on just our total offensive numbers, our, our explosives numbers, our passing numbers. 
Basically, anything that measures offensive performance, he had a dramatic impact on as soon as he's inserted in the starting lineup. I just simply don't think that is a coincidence. So all, all things considered, I'm going to go with an eight here. Things to work on, but still plenty of reason to feel very good about our chances going into 2021. Okay. Well, I kind of disagree. What? I, I saw him miss a lot of open wide receivers down the field in the Peach Bowl. And, you know, still concerned with the knee. You still don't trust. I mean, the the knee issue, like, I guess that's always me in the back of my mind. Like, oh, my God. Every time he takes a hit, like, oh, my God, please don't break your knee. Or please don't let your knee fall off. I get that. And yet, like, you, you're really not buying J.D. Daniels as a championship caliber quarterback? No, I do. I just don't, you don't think you, have concerns. So you're just, you're kind of just saying, let's, let's press the pause button here. All these people who are just going ahead and writing, penciling, like, you're, like me, right? Penciling us in the national title game? Yeah. Let's just chill out here. Like, there's some things we got to clean up on? Yeah. All right. But you still take him over Fromm, right? Yeah. Like, as you said. And we also made the national title game with a freshman, Jake Fromm. Yeah. So with more talent, I think we had more talent around JT than we had around Jake in 2017. Jake was a true freshman. But the question is, can we put it all together in one season? We kind of did in 2017. Mm, we, yeah, but... So I'm, I'm, not saying that, I'm not saying it will for sure happen this year. I'm just saying, can, you asked, can it happen? Well, it, yeah, it did. We just, we were one play away in overtime. I mean... Second and 26. Quarter, quarter, half coverage. You've got to get a hand on the receiver, but it's okay. It's okay, Malcolm Parrish. We still love you, buddy. All right, should we move anyway, on? Anyway, yes, let's go. Next up, running back James Cook. So, what are his strengths? James Cook, James, I mean, we know what James brings to the table. It's his versatility, right? I mean, this is a guy that can go out there. I mean, if we wanted him to and we use him this way, he could go catch 30, 40 balls for us if we actually use him that way. Like, like teams use running backs – in the NFL. If we wanted to use him like that, absolutely he could go out and catch 30, 40 balls for us. I just don't know if we have enough balls to go around with all the guys that need touches on this offense. And I will say, I think James Cook might be a guy that has a better pro career than Zamir White. Yeah, so, so Zeus is coming back, but do you think Cook could be the feature number one back? This year? I don't think he will be. I mean, like, they were both on the team last year. Zeus was clearly the guy that got the majority of the carries. I mean, how much more... Like, James Cook is who James Cook is. How much is he going to improve from last year to this year to where he's going to show our coaches something they didn't already know that he could do that he's going to overtake Zamir to be our number one yeah. back? Um, now, again, I will I will say, I think in the NFL, he, he could... I, th- I would probably bet money that he would have a better career in the NFL than Zamir White just because he's more of a fit for what offenses want to do in the NFL. But we still... Even though we're trying to change our offense some, we're going more up-tempo at times, we're trying to push the ball more vertically down the field and just modernize our offense some with Todd Munkin. I mean, you guys saw it last year. We still had the element of the power run game. And that, go to the weaknesses of James Cook here, that's, that's I don't know if it's a weakness. I just, I just simply don't think he's as powerful as he needs to be in our system. And maybe the weakness is that he's just not a great fit for what we traditionally like our running backs to be able to do, right? Like we want guys that can run between the tackles. Sure, we'll run you outside as well and we'll use in the passing game at times. But, First and foremost, we want you to be able to run between the tackles and run with power and with physicality. And that's just not James Cook's game necessarily. I'm not, and I, I've been an advocate of James Cook for a while, saying that like a lot of people say he's just a scat back. He can't run between the tackles. And I pushed back on that. Like, no, James can run between the tackles. Does he do it as well as Zamir White or Kenny McIntosh or Kendall Milton? No, he does not. That's not who James Cook is. But he has bulked up. He's gotten stronger. He's running with more power and physicality than he maybe had previously in his career. But he still needs to work on that. He still needs to work on his balance. There's far too many times when he gets tripped up, like like, like shoelace tackles. And this a guy as explosive as he is, he just needs to get in the open field. He cannot allow himself to get tripped up by shoelace tackles. That happened too many times where it's like he, he needs to be one guy and he's gone. But that one guy just gets a finger on a shoelace and James Cook goes down. That can't continue to happen. And part of that's you know power of his guy. More than anything, it's just really just balance. So work on those things. I still believe in James Cook. I think he'd be a major playmaker. He was a playmaker for us this past year. And I think he's gonna he brings a lot to the table, but certainly balance, power, those kind of things. I think that's really what he needs to improve if he wants to be more if he wants to see more touches in this offense. Okay, so now that you've gone over Cook's strengths and his opportunities to improve, what is his overall grade? You know, I think I'm gonna give James a solid six here. I, I think he showed enough last year. I do think he took a step forward last year. We finally got him more involved in the passing game again. I wish we would have used him I wish we would have used him even more than we did, but it was still 
a, a pretty big step forward for him in terms of what he'd done his first couple years here on campus. Had that big touchdown pass against Alabama. He's a guy in an era where college football and really just football at whatever level has become about matchups and being able to scheme up your offense in a way that you get a favorable matchup with your guy versus their guy. James Cook is a guy that we can absolutely create some matchup nightmares. We, we did that against Alabama, right? You know, Steve Sarkeesian gets all this credit for being this, this matchup guru, but it's not, like, it's not like other guys in the country don't do it as well. Todd Bunkin did a great job of it all year long. He just didn't have Mac Jones thrown to Devontae Smith. But when we played Alabama, actually, for, for instance, did a great job getting Cook matched up on a linebacker on Christian Harris out wide, and Harris had no chance. I and mean, it was, what, a... 50-ish, whatever yard touchdown. We need to do more of that with James. But he showed signs of being able to do that and to hurt teams with his versatility. So I'm going to say a six. Certainly not superior. He wasn't a guy that was like consistently maintaining this level of, of excellence when he got out there. But he's a guy that was a consistently solid performer every time he got out there. And he had those occasional flashes of excellence. So for me, I'm going to put him right there at a solid six. You're a podcast listener. And this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, let's jump over to the defensive side of the ball and talk about linebacker Quay Walker. I know you've been high on Walker since my he guy. first arrived in Athens, so tell us what he did well last season. Well, Quay, okay, so. I don't want to say he's the it's – it's a stretch to say he's the defensive version of James Cook, but like James Cook brings a versatility to the table offensively, I think Quay Walker brings a versatility to the table defensively. He's a guy that can play inside linebacker. I think Quay Walker could play outside linebacker if, he wanted, if we wanted him to, if we needed him to. I mean, he does at times, honestly, when we get into our dying package. I think he's got great speed. I think he's got great pass rushing ability. I think he's got outstanding length. I mean, the guy is 6'4", 240 pounds. The way, the way he moves at that size, the length that he has, I mean, this guy has NFL linebacker written all over him in terms of his potential. And that's why I've been so high on him for so long is I see what he can be. I see the raw physical tools this guy has to work with. But there are some pretty clear opportunities for improvement here. Charlie, I hope you don't mind me stealing your line here. Opportunities for improvement. Can I just go with my allowed to? Can I just go into it? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if I was Tell allowed us, to without, without. What are the opportunities for improvement? Okay, there we go. There are some things he needs to do better. The the reason I said when he was coming out of high school that I thought that Chang Tindall might actually play a little bit before Quay Walker did inside linebacker as a freshman might make more of an impact as a freshman was because that's what Chang Tindall played in high school. He was an inside linebacker. Quay Walker was not an inside linebacker by trade in high school. He had the ability to to translate into an inside linebacker, which is what he's done. But there was going to be a, a a period of time there where there were going to be some growing pains, where he had to learn the position. And that's why I thought in year one, when they were both freshmen, that Chang Tindall would have more opportunity for playing time because he was just more of a plug-and-play type guy, being able to do some of the things that inside linebackers have to do. There wasn't that learning curve as much for him as it was for Quay Walker. But as I said, once Quay figured that stuff out, that he was going to be the better player. And I think it's kind of turned out the way. I mean, Chang Tindall really kind of came on towards the end of last year as well, got himself back in the rotation, and he'll clearly be in the rotation this year. We'll save him for another day. But I still think Quay Walker has the higher ceiling here. But there's still some things that he's got to improve on. All right, He's still not great at doing the little things that an inside linebacker has to do. He's gotten better at it, and I would say he's inconsistent at these things. It's not like, it's not like he never does them, but far too often it, you, you see him just make some technical mistakes taking on blockers with the wrong shoulder, getting turned around of a play, 
uh, taking bad angles through traffic. Sometimes, and this is one thing that just drives me crazy with him sometimes, is that he, instead of kind of going through traffic, he tries to go around over the top of the traffic. What I mean by that, so it's like, there's this mass of bodies. Let's say a play is going to the perimeter and there's a mass of bodies between him and the ball carrier out there on the perimeter. Instead of kind of going through the traffic and kind of navigating his way through that, he has a tendency to kind of arc around it to kind of just go out of the way and eventually he'll make the tackle but he'll make the tackle about six or seven yards down the field as opposed to meeting the running back at the line of scrimmage or a one yard pass line of scrimmage and holding them to very little gain and that's something that you've got to work through and that's just confidence it's reps things like that i'm sure he does it well in practice but he's got to consistently do that better in in games again i'm not saying he never does it right but just far too often he kind of just avoids the traffic takes wrong angles uses the wrong shoulder doesn't get his hands on blockers before they get their hands on him. There's the small little things inside linebackers have to do. He's still got to grow there and become more consistent. But once he figures those things out, and he's getting better at it, but once he figures those things out, Quay Walker is going to be a rock star at inside linebacker. And I just, I hope the light fully goes on this year because if it does, man, this guy, I, I mean, I'm not I'm not predicting right now that he's going to be a first round draft pick. There's nothing that he's done to this point to say, oh yeah, this guy's a first round draft pick at inside linebacker. But again, I'll go back to potential. I know the, the P word's a dangerous word. He has the potential if he can just straighten out some of the fundamental things to be a first round type talent in the NFL draft. Again, I'm not saying he's gonna get there. He's gotta go to work. He's gotta straighten out some of these fundamental things. But if he does, the raw physical tools that NFL scouts drool over, those are there. He's just gotta put stuff on tape. And I, I'm hoping to God that happens this year because he's gonna have to start for us this year. I mean, it's gonna be him and Kobe Dean starting for us unless someone else takes a massive step forward. I'm, I don't see anyone stepping up over those two guys right now. So I'm hoping it happens this year, but that remains to be seen. All right, well, taking all that into consideration, what's his overall grade? Uh, I'll stick with that. I, you know what? I hate to copy James Cook here. I'm going to go with a six with Quay as well. We saw a lot of good things. He made some great plays for us this year. He flashed those signs of dominant play. He flashed that, that athleticism but he just didn't do it consistently enough. There's still too many things that I need to see from him from a fundamental standpoint, from a technical standpoint, that will allow him to take that next step to go higher than that. But I saw plenty of great things from him, and I just, again, hope he builds off that this year because we're going to need it from him. All right. Jumping back over to the offensive side of the ball, I did not organize these very well. I am sorry. Talking about tight end Darnell Washington. Your boy. literal giant. That's your boy. He is. You're all about him this yes. year. So please tell us his strengths. Uh, Darnell, I mean, you tell us. He's your boy. He's big, right? He's big. He can run fast for someone as big as he is. <laughs> when you're 6'7", and you can move yeah. like that. 6'7", 260-ish, you can move like that. Yeah, so, yeah, the size, athleticism combination. I mean, you just don't see guys that big that can move that well and have hands like he has. He has very strong hands. But what stood out to me most this year, and maybe this is because this is what he was doing the majority of the year, was his skill as a blocker. He grew as the season wore on. He did a good, he was good blocking as an inline tight end early in the year, but I think he certainly got better and better as the year went on. We were having issues at times running the, running the ball between the tackles as the season went on, and you started to see it started to attack the perimeter more and more, and we were having some success attacking the perimeter. A big part of that was Darnell Washington to be able to set the edge there, screen off defenders, seal the edge there, and just do an outstanding job as a true freshman being a guy that bought into that. I'm going to give the guy credit here. A lot of these guys that are highly recruited, like Darnell Washington, five-star coming out of high school, they just want to go catch as many balls as they possibly can because they want to make a name for themselves, get on NFL draft boards, whole nine yards. They don't like to block. But Darnell, at least from, from the public standpoint, what we were able to see, didn't seem to have an issue with that. He did what he was asked to do in our offense. And I know we had limitations at quarterback for most of the year. But he did an outstanding job of doing everything that our coach asked him to do and really buying into doing the dirty work, the blocking that doesn't really get you a lot of love on the, on the national stage, but that really helps your team win football games. So i got to give him a lot of credit there. So yeah, blocking was his clear strength this year. Great size, athleticism combination, showed really good hands down the stretch as he got more opportunities. So saw a lot of really good things from Darnell as a, as a freshman. All right, so what does he need to improve on? Route running, typical things that a freshman's got to improve on, especially a tight end. He didn't get a ton of opportunities in the passing game this year. Got to throw that out there. But if he's going to be a guy that's going to catch 20 to 30 balls in the future, which I think he's certainly capable of, 
He's got to become a more consistent route runner. He rounded his routes off a little too much at times last year. When he was asked to run some of these option routes, he was a little slow in and out of the breaks at times. And these are things that come with time. You're a true freshman. It's tough to come in right away and be as polished as you need to be, especially as a tight end. Because in high school, let's just be real, he was just so much bigger and faster and stronger than everyone else. He just out-athleted everyone. He didn't have to learn the technical aspects of the game. You see this a lot with guys coming out of high school that are just so much bigger and stronger than everyone else they go against in high school. But I think, with, again, with a full offseason under his belt and a full season of playing last year, that's something that can improve. But certainly he's got to get more crisp in his route running. And for a guy that is as big as he is, I want to see him use his body more effectively in the passing game. Again, did not get as many opportunities as we would like for him to see as many, as, and as many opportunities as I think he will get moving forward. But this is a guy that I think can be a massive red zone weapon for us. Just literally throw the ball up to this guy. In the few opportunities we saw him have for those big plays on the field. Yeah, he made some big plays on the field, but I would like to see him use his body to shield smaller defenders more effectively than he did in his sparse opportunities this year. Because that body's a weapon. That size, not only is it like you're just taller than these guys, but block them out. Play basketball like you're rebounding and block those dudes out. And I think if he continue to improve on those kind of things, this is a guy, again, I think can be a 20-30 ball type guy as, as early as next year. All right, so next up is overall grade. But before, I just want to say, personally, I think that he's going to be a breakout player next year. Of course you do. He obviously has the size and the athleticism, and now he has a little more experience, obviously. And we saw the coaches get him more involved in the offense later in the season. So I'm just telling you, watch out. Big Darnell? I mean, he's a giant. He's a giant. I would be afraid to stand next to him in person. I would actually like to just be like, just, yeah. Like, just feel how very, small I... Because I don't... I mean, I'm not a big guy, but I'm not a small person. But like, right, but he's st- almost a foot taller than you. That's what I'm saying. Like, just to stand next to him, like, how small I would mean, you feel? I mean, he would be more than a foot taller what than me. What are you? 4'7"? 4'8"? No, 5'6". 5'6"? Six. Six? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I guess that's about right. I'm almost 6 foot. You're, no. In case anyone wonder, I'm almost 6 foot. That's my claim to fame. Almost. Ball guy almost six foot tall. Almost. Not, not quite. Almost. Yeah, Story my hair, life. You might be six feet. That's low. No, I'm you didn't go there. But anyway, I already admitted that I was losing my hair. Yeah. It happens. I think it's pretty much gone. But. Okay. What's your grade for Darnell Washington? Just because you hate life right now doesn't mean you got to bring everyone else down. What's your grade for Darnell Oh, Washington? for Darnell, yeah, why not? Let's just go three for three here and make it a six. Again, saw some really good things. Now, did, did Darnell flash a ton this year in the passing game? No, but again, that's because there weren't as many opportunities. You also had a former walk-on, Stetson Bennett, God bless his soul, throwing him the football most of the year. And when then JT Daniels took over the starting quarterback, you started to see him get more involved in the offense. As you mentioned, Charlie, he got more involved in the offense as the season wore on. And I think that's a sign of things to come. He got more comfortable. We had a better quarterback in there that could actually get him the football. I think our coaches grew more comfortable in his in, in trusting that he knew what to do out there. But again, I just go back to what he did. Just on the strength of what he did in the in the run game as a blocker, just on that strength alone, take out what he did in the passing game late in the season, just take that out of the equation. On the strength of his blocking ability alone, I'm going to give him a six there. All right. Next up, I'm going to make us jump. Back across the other side of the ball. Yeah, you just you keep it fresh. Yeah. Next, we're gonna talk about um, Adam Anderson, who terrorized offenses at times, but he also had trouble staying on the field. So. Yeah, I would have loved to see a lot more of Adam Anderson last year. So, what are his strengths? I mean, you start on a good note. Let's let's start let's start with the good stuff. Well, he's clearly the best pass rusher on the team. I, I think he's potentially the best pass rusher. Pure pass rusher coming back in America next year. And I know people are going to call me a homer. Oh, my God. How can you say that? But, I mean, come on, guys. You, you watch the same guy as I did, right? I mean, Adam Anderson is an absolute – Charlie, you mentioned he terrorized offense when he was allowed to pin his ears back and just come off the edge with reckless abandon and rush the passer, which is what this guy is built to do. When he was allowed to do that, I don't want to say he was unstoppable – but people had a hard time stopping him. Just the explosiveness that he has off the edge, that first step, the speed, his ability to bend, the flexibility off the corner. This guy has the potential to be a flat-out dominant pass rusher. In fact, I think last year he was a dominant pass rusher. He just did not play enough to become like a big name on the national scene. He had five and a half sacks, and he did that as a guy that was essentially just a pass rush specialist. He was a guy that more often than not, 
basically just came in in third long situations with our dime package. That was the role that he played. And even when he was coming in on, on third downs, he wasn't always rushing the passer because we do different things to our simulated pressures. We bring guys from different angles. We don't want to be the same guys every time. You want to confuse offenses. That's the whole idea behind simulated pressure. So there were plenty of times where he's not even rushing the passer. He's on the field. He's spying the quarterback. He's dropping the coverage, which he does really well. He, he's great at spying the quarterback because he's incredibly fast. He's actually better than you think in coverage. But what this guy does does best is rush the passer. So that's, you're talking about his strength, that's what he brings to the table. He's got a wealth of pass rush moves. His best pass rush move is clearly just a speed rush off the edge where he just beats the guy with his explosive first step off the snap. He uses his flexibility, bends the, the corner, and gets up the quarterback. He's a nightmare doing that. But again, he just didn't see the field as much as personally I would like him to. All right, so what does he need to work on? It's very simple, and we, we've talked about that this with Adam Anderson before. What this guy needs to work on is eating. He needs to add weight, and I know it's it's not that easy. Some guys just have a hard time adding weight with metabolism. I understand that, but we've been saying for years that he's his. It seems like his career is kind of following the path of DeAndre Walker. DeAndre was very very thin, way too thin coming in his first couple years in Athens, and very similar to Adam Anderson, was a role player. He was a pass rush specialist who came in in just certain situations, a situational guy. And that's what Adam Anderson has been because neither guy could add weight early in their career. It wasn't until really DeAndre's, I would say maybe his junior year, especially his, his senior year, where he, he was a fantastic player for us his senior year, when he was finally able to add weight and stay on the field as a three-down outside linebacker who could set the edge and also still rush the passer and not really lose a step when he added weight. That's what we're still waiting on Adam Anderson to do. The guy needs to add weight. Last year, he played about six, at about 6'5", 225 pounds. That's too light to consistently be able to hold up in the trenches against the run and set the edge against SEC teams. I mean, honestly, that's, that's too late. And I, I know there are a lot of people out there, and I, I include myself in this, that get, that get frustrated that Adam Anderson did not see the field more than he did. And I do think that he, despite his limitations against the run and, and the fact that he was lighting the britches, I still think that we should have put him on the field more than we did to disrupt opposing quarterbacks. It was unforgivable. In Alabama, I think he, against Alabama, he played like five or six nets. He played, he played so little in that game. And Alabama, I got to give them credit. They were smart in what they did. What they did is they consistently came out there in 12 personnel. They knew that what we wanted to do was to get teams to third and long. So we get our, our athletic players out there and our dying package guys like Adam Anderson, Trayvon Walker, get those guys out there and wreak havoc on quarterbacks uh, in the pocket. They did not want to allow us to do that. They did not want us to get our speed and our athletic guys, those versatile guys like Adam Anderson on the field. So they were in 12 personnel most of the game with one running back and two tight ends. And when they're in that personnel group, we have to respond with our heavy defensive personnel or they will run the ball down our throat. And right now, Adam Anderson, at least last year, was simply too light in the britches to hold up against those formations. He's got to get bigger. It's that simple. He needs to get up to 240. If he gets to 240, then... Everyone watch out. He is, I said Quay Walker be a first-round draft pick. If Adam Anderson gets up to 240 pounds next year, I think he could be a potential, not just All-SEC, a potential All-American. I think he's that good as a pass rusher, and I don't think he'll lose a step at 240. And that what that will allow him to do is it will allow him to stay on the field far more consistently than he did last year. He can be a true three-down linebacker like DeAndre Walker was. He can be that kind of guy. He's just got to add weight. Again, I know that's easier said than done. I'm sure he's eaten a lot. I'm sure he's heard this his entire career in Athens. But now's the time. It's his money here. He's got to gain weight. And I've actually heard good returns. I know it's early offseason right now, but I've been told by some people around the program that he's up to around 230, 235 right now, which is fantastic news. He's got to continue to add some weight and, and maintain it, sustain it throughout the offseason. The real test is going to be when you come to spring practice, especially fall camp, even if he gains weight going to the fall camp, can he keep it on through fall camp? It's not fall camp. It's summer camp. It's fall camp, it's Charlie. 105 you're, degrees. Yes, but you're, you're preparing for... I understand that, but we don't have fall. Well, that, But you're kind of making my point where it's 105 degrees and pads in Georgia. Can, can you keep, can you weight keep that weight on? Yeah. That's extraordinarily difficult. It, but he needs to. For us and for also his own financial well-being, his, yeah. his pocketbook in the future. Because this guy, I'm, I'm dead serious. You guys watched it. You know what I'm talking about. He has first-round drafted potential but he's got to get bigger and be able to stay on the field. He's got right. to. Well, what's his overall grade? Are you going to give him a six also? No. I'm going to give him a seven. Oh. Because okay. I saw more. When he was on the field, he was consistently great. 
He it was consistent. He was consistently disruptive. He was our most consistently disruptive player on the team when he was on the field last year, at least defensively. I would argue. Maybe you could say Aziz. Okay, maybe I'll grant somebody saying Aziz. But Anderson's right there if he could just stay on the field. So yeah, from what I, what I saw from him was fantastic. I just need to see more of it from him. So I'll give him a seven. All right. Gain weight, Adam. Please eat okay. something. I wish I'm not I, body shaming. I'm not body shaming anyone. I just need you to gain weight, man. I want you to make a lot of money. I want you to be a first round draft pick. Just do it. I do it for I you. Do it for me. I need to gain weight. Yeah. Try to gain weight. Mm, no. Mm, opposite direction. Too much sitting around. All right. Well, let's wrap up with offensive tackle Warren McClendon. As a redshirt freshman, he didn't start the season to tackle, but he pretty quickly won the job after the Arkansas game. So, what did you see from McClendon that you liked in 2020? I saw a guy that was steady for most of the year. He still has a lot of room to grow. And I guess we'll get to that here in a second. But strengths, uh, I saw a guy that didn't have a lot of blown assignments. I'm not saying he didn't get beat, because he did. Again, we'll get to that in a minute here. But it, when he got beat, it wasn't typically because of blown assignments. He's a guy that seemed to, to know what to do. He was smart out there. And he, I think he was consistently pretty good in the run game. Again, not perfect. But I thought he did a pretty good job with hand placement, uh, leg drive, got some movement. So I think he was consistently pretty good in the run game. I do, however, have some things he needs to work on. Am I allowed to go there, Charlie? Yeah, absolutely. So some opportunities for improvement for Warren McClendon going into next year. It, a couple of things here. So, again, I said he was consistently pretty good in the run game, but he was never overpowering. He's got to continue to get stronger. And he's, that's that's okay. He's young, okay? And I, I always say this about offensive linemen. The biggest issue for offensive linemen coming into the SEC is like, can you go against, are you strong enough to actually consistently hold up against the grown men, like truly grown men that you are going against in the trenches in the SEC? And at times the answer was no for, for Warren McClendon last year. He was fine some of the time, but there were plenty of times where he just got outpowered, uh, out, outman, overpowered, however you want to say that. So that's number one. He's got to get stronger, hit the weight room, and he will. He's he's still a young guy. He's going to get stronger. He's going to continue to grow. He also needs to get quicker with his foot speed as well because he was vulnerable to the outside speed rush last year. I mean, you guys saw it. The Cincinnati game, whether it was him or Truss, both guys, I mean, they both had trouble with those speed rushers coming off the edge. Uh, with Sanders especially, who was a, a dominant speed rusher for Cincinnati, they both they move him around. They do a good job moving him around. They both had issues with him, and I, that wasn't unique to McClendon in that one game. We saw certainly down the stretch. I thought he kind of faded down the stretch of the season against again, especially against some of those speed rushers. So he's like a little stronger. He needs to get quicker with his foot speed. He needs to do a better job of getting to his his pass pro set quicker. Get his hands on defenders a little bit quicker. And those are things that he can continue to grow on. But as I've said, I just I I'm not convinced he's the answer right now. At right tackle. I'm not saying it can't be. I'm not giving up on the guy. I realize he's still young, but there were enough causes for concern, enough things that I saw late in the season that really give me some pause as to whether he's our long term answer at right tackle. And just lead me to believe that there's certainly an opportunity for some other guys to have a big spring, a big fall camp, and overtake him. I just certainly just don't think he has that job locked down right now. Again, not saying he can't do it and that he won't hold on to it next year. And I guess he's probably odds-on favorite going in. He should be the favorite because he was that he was a starter most of last year. But I do think there are some guys that will push him if he doesn't get stronger and quicker out there on the edge. All right. So what's his overall grade? Uh, he wasn't. He was certainly not a complete disaster. So I'm gonna go. I think he needs improvement. So I'm gonna have to go in that range. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna put him at the high end of the needs improvement category. So I'm gonna give him a four. All right. Give him a four. Four. He. I mean, he's, he's young. First year's a starter. Yeah. First year freshman. I mean, I, it, all is not lost. I'm not giving up on the guy, but he's certainly got to get better. He's got to get better. Yeah. There's no doubt. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
All right, is that it? That's it for today. All right, last thing before we get out of here. You, got, you want to do some quick tennis talk? Sure. All right, so did you go to the tech game? Tech match? The... No, I couldn't go. I had to work. How dare you? It started at like 3. How dare you? I know. I was there. Yeah. You weren't there? I thought you went. No. Okay. Well, I don't know how much Girls you Girls match on yeah. Thursday? No. I thought it was Friday. It was, th- yeah. it was Thursday. It was Thursday. It was yeah. Thursday. It was Thursday. That's right. You were working. That's right. That's right. I, got, I was thinking about something else. You're right. All right. So real quickly here, again, for people who don't like tennis, that's okay. You are absolutely totally free to go ahead and turn this off. But for some of our tennis fans out there, we know it's hard to find good Georgia tennis information out there. So we want to try to update you with what's going on in the program. And so the girls had their third straight. Should I say girls? Should I say ladies? Women? What do I say? Ladies. I always say the the girls team, but that's they're not girls. They're like 20, 21, 22 year old. If women. I were them, I would not be offended by being referred to as a girl. But I, I used to call them the guys know. and the girls. Right, but some of them. So what happens when you become an old man? Be a girl. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like some lady. of them are like like Ellen is what twenty two. Like she's not yeah. a girl. She's a she's a she's a grown woman. So women. Okay. I'm sorry if I offend anybody. The women. All right. Gotta get correct here. So the women had their third straight top 10 matchup. I don't want to say to open the dual matches because we also played Georgia State, but we had three top 10 matchups in a row. We lost a heartbreaker to number one North Carolina. We recapped a couple weeks ago. Final match, third set tie break. That was a tough one to lose. We bounced back. We beat Florida State, who I think was number eight in that matchup. Uh, last, not, well, a week and a half ago. Not this past weekend, but the weekend before that. And then Thursday, we got direct text. Oh, it's always a great day in America when we get to beat Georgia Tech. It is. It's like, it, it really, like, doesn't matter what's going on in my life. If we beat Georgia Tech in anything, it just instantly lifts my spirits. I'm on cloud nine. So it was beautiful. And we dominated that match. Then we ended up winning 4-1. Cat beat the number 16 singles player in the country on court one because Cat's the best player in America. I, I don't care. Someone, someone has to convince me otherwise, but she's the best player in America. Uh, Meg Kowalski did Meg Kowalski things. Had the most quintessentially Meg Kowalski second set ever. She uh, got broken. She won the first set easy, I think, 6-3. Oh, I watched a little bit of this online. You watched it online? Yeah, okay. So you know what I'm talking about. So she she got broken. Her service was broken three straight times in the second set. And this girl she was playing against just hit a very heavy ball, was much more powerful than Meg, much more offensively inclined than Meg. But Meg, who... Does not hit a really heavy ball. It's not an overwhelmingly powerful offensive player, but she's just a smart player. She knows who she is, and she just fights like a bulldog, man. She is just so much fun to watch. Watch out there. She's fierce. She never gives up. A, she never gives up on a point ever. She runs around out there, and this girl uh, broke her three times in a row. But what did Meg do? She didn't get her head down. She got frustrated at times, but she bounced right back and broke this other girl in in return three straight times. And it went to a second set tie break. Meg got the first six points of the tie break. So she went up six six love in the tie break, only to have this other girl bounce back and went and reel off six straight points of her own to tie it at 6-6. Six, six. And Meg, you can see, she got a little frustrated, but she regrouped and she just did what Meg Kowalski does. And she just kept fighting and kept fighting and beat yet another ranked opponent there on court three. So she's just, man, I, I think, what is it? I think she's now 21-1. and one. In her dual match career, yeah, Georgia, it's it's insane. She's she's just so good, so fun to watch. But more big news coming out of out of that match. Mar Gonzalez is back. She was playing court five. How big is it to get Marta back? Does that change the equation for this team? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so she comes back. She's been nursing. I think a wrist injury. She comes back. She's on court five. She's traditionally played court two, court three singles most of her career. Do you see this as a long-term thing for her this year? Is Meg just playing so well, Morgan Coppock on court four, that she's going to stick on court five? Or is it just kind of the way to ease her back in? I think she might get up to three or four. I think she has been out for a while, so they're going to start her where she can be successful. And, you know, there's no reason to play her at a higher court than necessary. Yeah, I I agree. I would say this, because, again, she's always played court two or three, at least for the past two or three years. But I have to wonder, like, how can you take Meg Kowalski off court three right now? And look, our coaches are incredible. Coach Drake Bernstein, Coach Jeff Wallace. I mean, Coach Wallace is an absolute legend. He's been at it for a long time. I truly do not think this team could be in better hands from a coaching perspective. But just kind of thinking out loud here, again, what do I know? I mean, I'm, I'm still in the early stages of my life as a tennis fan. 
But I, I just got a question. My my amateur eye watching what this team's doing right now and how well we're playing, and specifically how well Meg Kowalski is playing on court three, I just wonder how you can move her off court three right now with how she's playing. I mean, she just took down, two weeks ago, took down the number six singles player in the country. Well, I mean, everybody that comes in is just better and better each year. You, I mean, you got to play where you can. But I mean, like, would you take Meg off court three right now, the way she's playing? Oh, take Meg off? Yeah, that's no. what I'm saying. I, I don't think... Like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, Marta's just got to play where it's open. I love Marta at five. And I was looking on Twitter. They mic'd up the assistant coach one day. I don't know. And it was on Twitter Drake? today. No. The, the volunteer assistant? Yeah. yeah okay. I think his name's Mike something. Um, they mic'd him up, and he was talking to... Meg and he was like, "You gotta glide. You gotta glide like Leah." <laughs> like, Leah does glide. She, she just glides glide. around the court. She's yes. very graceful in a very nonchalant manner. She's shown more emotion lately. I've liked she her. Did. And she's toughing out. She's got that groin injury. Her legs all taped up. And she's toughing out there. Yeah, no, I love to watch her play. She, her, she's her, amazing. And her serve is just gorgeous to watch. But yeah, Marta on court five. I think I like it because that gives us a veteran presence on court five. Because one thing I was concerned about was like. Has Meg earned the right to play higher than court six in singles? Absolutely. But how much of a security blanket it was to always have Meg Kowalski on court six, right? Because she was just never going to lose. She like, The only match she lost was in the uh, SEC. Yeah, but if you put Marta down there, it's the same thing. That, and that's what I'm saying. Like, like, yeah, it's we, just like, swapping. When, when you don't have Meg down there, it's, it's, like, it's like, okay, we ha- I like Anya Hurdle. Let's just hope there's no uh, indoor matches with Marta because if it comes down to her oh match, that seven match, hour match. That could last seven hours. Lob fest, baby. Lob fest after lot, like every game is just And Marta's like, a grinder, too. She kind of liked Meg in that. She's a grinder. She plays really good defensive yeah. tennis. Yeah, I'm really glad to get her back. She's such a veteran. She's played so much tennis for us. And she sticks down there at core five, and that really solidifies core five and core six. Kind of gives us a, a, someone to feel really good about down there if a match. Because oftentimes, it's like, those matches can come down to core five, core six. It's all about getting the point for your team. And I think she's going to get a lot of points for our team if she sticks down there at core five. So I'm really excited about that. Conference play opens up for both the men and the women. This outdoor weekend, season. outdoor season. We're in the, that tech match was supposed to be outdoors. They're I playing was outside there. on Wednesday. I know, but I'm just saying the tech match was supposed to be outside and it wasn't. It's not their fault when it rains, it rains. But And they are allowing 275 um, fans in. Members of the general public, yeah. Yes. Uh, you do not have to be on a list. It's 275 people first come, first serve, in addition to the list. Yeah. So if you can make it out, please do. Yeah, definitely come out, guys. I, I, this, these, both these teams deserve our support, and I know that again, tennis is not mainstream. A lot of you wondering, like, why are we talking Georgia tennis? Because we love it, and because it's fun, and we want to grow the sport in Athens. And it's, I'm telling you guys, there, like, college football is the greatest thing that's ever been invented in the history of the world. I will, I will give you that. It's also free. You don't have to yes. stay the whole time. Bring your kids. You know, teach them a different sport, or sure. show them something they might be interested in playing. And you don't have to stay the whole time. It's a great outing for a family. Doubles is really fun to watch because there's... it. Well, the whole thing is fun to watch because there's just a lot going on. It, there's so much drama. No, seriously. Like, I was just saying, football is the greatest thing ever invented. And nothing will ever surpass football for me. But college tennis, if you want drama and just excitement, come watch a college tennis match. It's like there's always something going on. It's nonstop drama. These matches, like they come a lot of times they come down on the wire. It's a ton like that North Carolina match, when it comes down to the the last set, yeah. The tie break. It's incredible drama. The college rules are different than the pro rules, so you may be confused. Well they, they play no ad. Yeah, they, they play, play no ad, ad, but then there are also the tie breaks a little bit different. Um how? than how it's played. Is the tie break different? They don't switch sides. Oh, that's true. Okay, yeah. Okay. Just that stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought you were talking about like point system. Yeah. Like, oh, we points. actually have a scoreboard outside. So you you might have missed a point on one court, yeah. but and then it's like, oh, you gotta watch it, and well, then you actually know what the score is. I know is. that we we give the we criticize the indoor facility a lot because we think our programs deserve a new indoor facility. But our outdoor facility is very nice. I I mean I haven't seen every college tennis facility in America, but at least the ones in the Southeast that we travel to, it's by, it's not even close. It's the best facility now in the Southeast. Now there are actually seat backs in oh, the fantastic. lower section. Yeah, what, what they did, the grandstand? Oh my gosh. The, Life Clean bathrooms? Oh, yeah. No kidding. I mean, it's, it's, they got graphics. It looks great. I mean, it looks fantastic right now. So if you guys are looking for something to do, if you're bored like Charlie and you just sit there staring at a wall all day, which I feel is what Charlie does all day, because at least that's the impression I get. Come no. out to a Georgia tennis match. I'm gonna pull the schedule right now. We're opening SEC play this weekend. Charlie said there's a ma- there's matches this this Wednesday, which are just recently announced, which I did not know. But I am pulling up the schedule right now. So the 
Ladies, the women are at home against Tennessee on, I think it's Sunday, the 21st. And the men are at home against Tennessee, who's a top 10 team this year, which somehow Tennessee's in the top 10 in tennis, which is weird. Uh, but they are playing the Tennessee Volunteers at home Friday afternoon at 2.30. So I know it's a little early, but if you get a chance, come out with the family, especially on Sunday. I know that's easier for people to get to for the women's match. So It's free. They do have their clear bag policy, so just keep that in mind. Yeah. I and mean, seriously, guys, if... if if you've never given a chance, never taken in a match, just come give it a shot. There was a time, you know, six or seven years ago that I had never seen a Georgia tennis match. But I went to one and I was like, oh my God, this was incredible. And I was hooked instantly. I knew nothing about, I honestly knew nothing about tennis. I knew like 15 love. I knew like the, how to score basically, but like ground strokes. I didn't know anything about tennis. And now I've learned so much. I've taken up, I've taken up tennis myself. Charlie's actually taken up tennis also over the past couple of years. I'm better than you. You are more consistent with your ground strokes than I am. Better than you. Is your serve better than mine? No. It's more consistent. Yeah, but I can beat you. Who moves around better? I can beat you too. I move way better than you You do. What? Yeah. On the court? Yeah. You move on the court better than I do. Yeah. You've lost your mind. I have a better volley game than you do. You might be able to volley better. doesn't mean you move better than I do. Okay. Left for another day. You think you're... Nobody wants to listen to this. You can't just talk trash like that and get away with it. If you do go to uh-huh. a match and it's on the weekend, please don't spend money parking in the parking deck. Park in one of the other lots. They're free on the weekends, and they're free after, after five, five on the weekdays. Yeah. So, yeah, guys, come on out and support the team if you get a chance. Again, if you're like Charlie and you're just bored to death, your kids are driving you crazy, you want to get the family out and do something together that's cheap, easy, fun, come and check out a Georgia tennis match. I think you would be a lot more into it, have a lot more fun than you might think you would I think we have two teams that are certainly going to contend for the SEC title this year. And who knows, maybe even more than that. And they definitely need your support. So come on out if you get a chance, guys. Support the teams and uh, have a great time while you're at it. But thanks for listening, guys. We definitely appreciate you tuning in and checking out the show today. Curtis and I will be back later this week to do part two of our 2021 recruiting class deep dive. This time we'll be focusing on the defensive side of the ball. And we might have an interview for you guys later on this week if we can work things out. I don't want to say much more than that. I know it's got a little bit of a teaser here, but we're trying to work out a time and, and figure that out later this week. But if we can make that happen, we will have an interview for you guys later on this week. So a lot to look forward to this week on the show, guys. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>